This is Radio Romania International. You are listening to our one-hour broadcast in English for listeners in Western Europe and Africa. We can also be heard on the Internet at www.rri.ro channel 1. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and other social media platforms. Our programs are also available on TuneIn and via satellite Eurosat 16A on 11.512MHz vertical polarization, azimuth 16 degrees east, symbol rate 29,950 MHz per second, standard DVB-S2, modulation 8PSK, audio PID 510. We wish you good reception conditions. Hello, I'm Lukamera Smyon with the news. First, the headlines. In Romania, classes resume on Monday against the backdrop of the increasing number of respiratory infections that prompted the authorities to declare a state of epidemic alert. The first event within the Timisoara European Capital of Culture 2023 project is scheduled for Monday. And Romania's women's handball champions, Rapid Bucharest, play on home ground against the Montenegrin team Bodutnost in Group B of the Champions League. School starts on Monday after the winter holidays, and the resumption of classes takes place in the context of a growing number of respiratory infections. Romania is in a state of moderate epidemic alert due to the flu, and the authorities decided that the directors of educational units should send recommendations to parents on how they can recognize the symptoms of such infections in order to determine whether or not it is necessary to send their children to school. School inspectorates have the obligation to designate a person responsible for permanent communication with the public health departments and to inform the Education Ministry about any exceptional situation from an epidemiological point of view found in educational units. The school managements have the obligation to carry out the daily triage of pupils at the beginning of the first class in each shift, to provide the necessary materials for the periodic disinfection of hands and surfaces, and to periodically ventilate the rooms. The first event within the Timisoara European Capital of Culture 2023 project is scheduled for Monday, when the Vice President of the Commission, Margaritis Shinas, will officially hand over this title in a ceremony at the Acropolis Museum in Athens. This year, Timisoara in Western Romania is one of the three European capitals of culture, along with the cities of Elefsina in Greece and Vesprem in Hungary. The official opening of the event will take place between February 17th and 19th, and throughout the year, no less than 50 shows, concerts, film premieres, exhibitions, and other forms of cultural manifestation have already been included in the calendar of events. Participating are more than 2,500 artists from the country and abroad. Romania's women's handball champions Rapid Bucharest play on Sunday on home ground against the Montenegrin team Budutnost in Group B of the Champions League. Rapid is ranked fourth and Budutnost fifth. 
On Saturday, Romania's vice-champions, CSM Bucharest, defeated the Czech team Banik Most away from home, score 35-26 in a Group A match of the Champions League. With his success, the Bucharest players have consolidated their position as leaders of the group. CSM will play the next match on January 14th at home against the Danish team Odense Handvolt. The World Bank is worried that the new adverse shocks could push the global economy into recession this year, with small countries being particularly vulnerable, Bloomberg reports. The warning is included in the Biannual Global Economic Prospects Report, which is to be published on Tuesday. Even in the absence of another crisis, global economic growth this year is expected to slow down significantly, reflecting the tightening of the monetary policy to counter high inflation, the worsening financial conditions, and the continued disruption caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the report shows. And the managing director of the International Monetary Fund, Kristalina Georgieva, started the year 2023 by warning that the world would face a more difficult year than the previous one. One third of the world economy will be in recession because the US, the EU and China are slowing down simultaneously, the head of the IMF estimated. New bombings took place in several parts of Ukraine after the end of the 36-hour truce unilaterally decreed by Russia during the Christmas period. Ukrainian officials said at least one person was killed in the Kharkov region. Explosions were also reported in the southern cities of Zaporizhia and Melitopov. In the east, Russia continued to attack Ukrainian positions even during the truce, the BBC reports. President Volodymyr Zelensky has stated that that is proof of how false Moscow's words are and that peace will be restored only after the Russian forces are expelled from his country. The Romanian tennis player Sorana Kirsta managed to reach the main singles draw at the Adelaide International 2 WT500 tournament in Australia with total prizes of over 780,000 US dollars. After defeating the Estonian Kaya Kanepi on Sunday in the last round of the qualifications. And that's the news. This is Radio Romania International Broadcasting from Bucharest. Sunday Show. Hello, I am Diana Vujeu, inviting you to stay tuned for a review of the most interesting shows aired by Radio Romania International's English section. In a constantly changing world, the range of jobs is also being redefined. Along with everyday realities and with the increasingly alert advance of technology, changes are also more frequent. Reporting is Mihaila Ignatescu. Many repetitive jobs will disappear and will be taken over by robots. At the same time, new ones will appear which will focus on creativity. 
specialists in robotics and artificial intelligence, creators of artificial intelligence software, developers and designers of virtual spaces, developers of IT software and applications, digital marketing analysts or jobs such as nurses or physiotherapists who use smart devices, financial advisors or medical managers will be in high demand. Even though it may sound sci-fi in the offer of jobs available in a future much closer than we imagine, we could find chatbot creator, digitally literate manager for smart stores, memory surgeon, specialist in bringing back to life and reuniting species extinct, alternative energy developer, space clinician, commercial space pilot, lawyer specializing in robot law or genetics ethics, but also for worker at unconventional energy plants, deep sea miner in search of rare minerals in the ocean, organizational remodeler, known as corporate disruptor, virtual teacher, family technologist, e-sports event manager, renewable plastics engineer and designer, or extreme survival instructor. These professions of the future are just some of those presented in the latest edition, the fifth, of the Future Professions Guide, produced by the Initiative for Competitiveness, INACO. The personnel crisis has led to the automation of an increasing number of fields – army, agriculture, medicine, hospitality or police, according to INACO. There are more and more police robots, waiter robots, agricultural robots, telesurgery endoscopic capsule robots and intelligent military robots already present on some battlefields. Artificial power is now being added to human strength. We will increasingly use these intelligent devices with a very high capacity to analyze. Andrea Paul, the president of INACO, explained on Radio Romania. Noi astăzi suntem invitați să învățăm cum să ne împrietenim cu noi aparate inteligente care devin Today we are invited to learn how to make friends with new smart devices, which are becoming tinier and more intelligent by the day. No job can be done without becoming digitally literate. In law, for instance, with the AI software that knows the laws of all the countries in the world, or in the medical field where there are nanorobots that once inserted into the human body go and solve the health problem inside the body without the need for an intrusive intervention that requires a long recovery of the patient. Remote surgery where the doctor is in the UK and the patient is in South Africa And these are realities. Or in English forensics, where in 2017 an AI-powered robot identified for the first time a criminal based on signals sent by people who are able to give clues about the criminal. These things are real and they are developing very quickly. There will be technological depression, just as there is depression in traditional life. New forms of illnesses appear, new therapists appear, psychologists specialized in technological detoxification, says Andrea Paul. In agriculture, for example, the digital farmer is already a necessity. He can coordinate agricultural drones that can gather information in real time about the quality of the plants, about the diseases that can appear in the area, about water or nutrient deficits. The same agricultural drones can return with the necessary amount of nutrients or treatment for affected areas, which are in danger of qualitative deterioration. Andrea Paul says, though, that the disappearance of some jobs should not worry us, because history has shown that with every industrial revolution, the number of new professions appearing is significantly higher than those disappearing.
Andreea Paul. Ce fac aceste aparate, de fapt, pe care noi le numim inteligente? Aceste aparate inteligente, că e robot, că e un soft, preia... What do these devices, which we can call smart, actually do? The smart machines, whether robot or software, take over repetitive human work that can be algorithmized. It remains for us to be creative to create these robots, to design these robots, to repair them, to transform them into a form that is more and more acceptable to humans. Opposition is human. Frustration, refusal to interact with these devices is also a natural reaction. And not everyone is a technological champion. Usually those who feel the pulse of things and the solutions, they offer on a global scale, digital platforms do that, for example, move forward and based on their results, technology followers come. And there are some who will remain in what is called the social class of unemployable people, which Yuval Harari has been talking about since 2013, and for which the guaranteed minimum income is being prepared. This talk is held globally, not just at EU level. Another interesting discussion arises in parallel, whether robots should be taxed, and probably our children's generation will do so, or the job of lawyering for robots' rights will emerge as they become actors in the labor market. You are listening to Radio Romania International. Kalin Kotsoyo now takes us to a special exhibition hosted by the Romanian National History Museum. It's called the Sbeshan Treasure, the Gold of the South Danube Dacians. It resumes uh, the History Museum's cooperation in archaeology between Romania and its neighboring Bulgaria. The Sbeshan Treasure, located in northern Bulgaria, was discovered in November 2012 in the tumulus necropolis of a fortified city built in the 6th century BCE. We spoke about this collaboration with the manager of the History Museum, Ernest Oberlander Turnovano. After a gap of 45 years, the Romanian National History Museum and the National Archaeology Institute and Museum in Sofia resumed their collaboration. This year, in April, a grand exhibition was opened in Sofia at the Institute Museum on the weaponry of three Chanelites. On this occasion, the Romanian National History Museum and the Institute of Eco-Museal Studies in Tulcea were present with rich exhibitions with pieces from the princely tomb in Ajigiol, dating back to the 4th century BCE. In reply to this exhibition, in Bucharest we opened a wonderful exhibition with pieces from one of the royal tombs in Sveshtari. This exhibition is part of a larger theme because the Romanian National History Museum opened the exhibition called Dacia, the Last Frontier of the Romans. Together with a historic treasure, together with a copy of Trajan's Column, this exhibition of gold pieces from the Jete area south of the Danube, this is a valued addition allowing the visitors to know a special aspect of the Jete arts and civilization, who were part of the Thracian world, just as the Dacians were. 
We thought that the best place for these superb gold jewelry would be the thesaurus, meaning that the exhibits from Sveshtari should be next to their cousins uncovered in Romania. We asked Ernest Oberlander de Novano what the public can expect from the exhibition, what is special about the treasure, and what made the discovery extraordinary. I would start with the site itself. This is one of the largest centers south of the Danube. Bulgarian archaeologists and historians, and many of our Romanian colleagues, believe that this city was Helis, the capital of warlord Dramihetes. We believe that this is the site of events described by Diodorus of Sicily, the meeting between Dramichaetes and King Lysimachus and his sons after their defeat in battle. All around this site, in the middle of wonderful surroundings, we have a tumulus necropolis with large-sized tumuli. One of these was researched by Bulgarian archaeologist Diana Gergiev, and they had amazing luck. They found a situation which is rare to come across in our business. Within the casing of the tomb itself, there was a natural relic, a giant ancient oak. For Indo-Europeans, the oak was a tree consecrated to a father of the gods figure like Zeus. In the branches of the oak, they found a wooden casket containing both women's jewelry and pieces of horse tackle. The tumulus was a tomb with a stone structure and a chamber with a vaulted ceiling, which was a major innovation for the late 4th century, early 3rd century BCE. What we know for sure is that two people were buried there, and they had a connection with the treasure. For the first time, archaeologists were able to document the fact that a royal tomb was built around a sacred tree. Therefore, the place itself became sacred, and the people buried there were placed under the highest possible protection, that of the father of the gods. The treasure, as the visitors can see, consists of female jewelry, diadems and bracelets, decorated with mythological and fantastic animals, such as griffins and lionheads. We also have pieces of horse tackle. So we have on the one hand a feminine offering, and on the other a masculine offering. From all we know right now from royal tomb discoveries, it seems very clear that these were Thracian elites, be they at the mouths of the Danube in Ajigyol, be they in the Wallachian plains at Peretu, be they in many other places. However, these two discoveries are special. They show that they believed in life after death, which continued with the same elements as their earthly life. In their earthly life, they were warlords, and the Horus was part of their royal presence. This nameless king put in gold decorations for his favorite horse, and his wife put in jewelry. Certainly, you could not face the gods without such an obvious mark of the social position you had on earth than gold decorations. These were crafted in Greek workshops in the best ancient tradition, because by the 4th century, the Jete had been in contact with the Greeks for a long time, and had borrowed important elements of Greek civilization. They certainly appreciated these high craftsmanship pieces. 
That was Kalin Kotsoyu with a report uh, on a special exhibition hosted by the Romanian National History Museum in Bucharest. Here is now Elena Enake with a report on the Romanian Academy Library. It had emerged as a natural consequence of the establishment on April 1, 1866, of the Romanian Literary Society, which a year later became the Romanian Academic Society. As of 1879, two years after Romania won its state independence, the Romanian Academy, as successor of the two previous organizations, became the most important scientific institution of the new Romanian state. The Romanian Academy Library, established in 1867, started assuming its role and increasing its knowledge fund with the help of acquisitions and donations. At the end of the 19th century, in 1897, the building that was to host the huge heritage that we have today started being erected. The first donor of the library was the Orthodox Bishop of Buzău, Dionisie Romano, who offered 81 old Romanian books. In 1897, 25 years after the bishop's death, his entire personal book fund entered the library's possession. Other donors with substantial contributions were Dr. Carol Davila, linguist Timotei Cipariu and August Treboniu Laurian, historians and archaeologist V.A. Urechia, George Baritiu and Alexandro Dobescu, and also inventor Petrache Poenaru. However, the person who would leave its mark on the library was its first director, linguist Iwan Bianu. In 1894, Bianu drawn up the plan of national bibliography of five directions. A national bibliography of Romanian book, one of Romanian newspapers, the analytic bibliography that included articles from the newspapers, a registry of manuscripts and an inventory book with all the documents of the library. The first book about the Romanian Academy Library has been coordinated by Nicolae Noica, the institution's director. In 700 pages, the book tells the story of its beginnings from 1867 to 1885. Attending the launch of the first volume of the History of the Library, the president of the Romanian Academy, historian Ioan Aurel Pop, said the story of Romania's most important library is an important project for at least one generation. Ioan Aurel Pop. O istoria bibliotecii Academiei Române, probabil în 10 volume, nu s-a mai scris până acum, deși proiecte foarte multe au fost și chiar încercări. Și este puțin probabil că se va... A history of the Romanian Academy Library in 10 volumes has never been written until now, in spite of many attempts and projects, and there is little expectation for it to be written soon. Which is why... The present project, coming to life under your very eyes, is a remarkable achievement. The Romanian Academy Library took its first steps in 1867. This is believed to be its year of birth, one year after the founding of the Literary Society, the forebearer of the Romanian Academy. 
Its role at first was to gather together, organize and capitalize on specific national collections, book collections, and to issue and edit a retrospective national bibliography for all types of printed material. Ioan Aurel Pop also said that the institution developed continuously, which, like any growing body, diversified and expanded its horizons. În cei 155 de ani trecuți de la fondare. Astăzi, biblioteca este the institution's aims and attributions have widened constantly in the 155 years since its founding. Today, it is the most important treasure library, the most valuable library in Romania. Its collections have an encyclopedic structure starting with the oldest Romanian language texts going back to the 16th century and some even older in the chancellery and church languages that set to paper testimonies from the past of the Romanian space, Slavonic, Latin, Ottoman Turkish, Old Romanian, Greek, Arabic, Armenian, Hebrew, Hungarian and more. There are also the chancellery and church texts that circulated in the Romanian space. That was Ioan Aurel Pop. Elena Enakie Romania boasts many mountain resorts. The best-known ones are undoubtedly those on Prahova Valley. Mihala Ignatescu now takes us off the beaten track to Straja. Let's go skiing there. Although in some winter resorts the weather has turned a bit cooler and it has snowed a bit, the skiing season has not started yet in many of them. But Straja, located in Hunedoara County at an altitude of 1,445 meters in the Vulcan Mountains, only 8 kilometers from the town of Lupeni on Giu Valley, has been welcoming skiers since early December. Straja is the youngest ski resort in the country, being declared a local tourist resort in 2002. Straja Resort has approximately 26 kilometers of skiing area, of which 20 kilometers can be covered in artificial snow. For skiers who want a unique experience, it is possible to descend from Straja Peak to the town of Lupeni, which is exactly 26 kilometers. Take the cable car from Lupeni to the resort, then take two chairlifts through Straja Peak. If the weather permits, these slopes can be used with artificial snow. The only condition is a temperature of at least minus 4 degrees Celsius. There are 12 ski slopes in Straja, each equipped with a cable transport facility, and many of them are also equipped for night skiing. The longest piste is Straja, 8.1 kilometers long, which starts from an altitude of 1,868 meters and descends to 750, having an average degree of difficulty. For beginners, there is a treadmill on the Balu piste. A one-day ski pass costs approximately 26 euros, and a 100-point ski pass costs approximately 75. The pistes are maintained with the help of snow-blowing machines. And to ensure the layer of artificial snow throughout the season, there are 23 snow cannons ready at all times. At the base of the slopes, there are rental centers where skiers can rent skis, boots, 
poles, snowboards, booties, helmets, the latter being increasingly recommended as safety on the slopes comes first. For those who do not know how to ski or snowboard, there are also instructors ready to teach them the basics. Also, there are some 300 cabins, holiday homes, guest houses and villas ready to accommodate hiking enthusiasts. And lovers of winter scenery can take trips from Straja Resort to Moto Peak. Another interesting site in the area is the Straja Monastery. Entrance is through a large wooden gate with a white frame depicting religious scenes. After crossing the gate, one goes through a 54-meter-long tunnel. 365 saints from the Orthodox calendar, one for each day of the year, are painted on one of the tunnel's walls. The ceiling is covered in scenes from the Old and New Testament, and on the right wall, 12 Orthodox holidays and the Ten Commandments are depicted. There is also a candle that is always burning in the tunnel, which is moved every day to the saints celebrated on that respective date in the religious calendar. That was Mihaila Ignatescu with a report on the Straja Skiing Resort in Romania. That's all in Sunday show today. We leave you with the band Firma and their song Two Souls. From me, Diana Vujel, it's goodbye. Now Focus on Romania. You are listening to Radio Romania International. Next in this broadcast, it's all that jazz. I'm Cristina Matescu, and today we're going to introduce you to jazz musician Florian Lungu. Lungu is a popular presence on the Romanian music scene, being also known as a radio and TV host and a music teacher. Let's begin with his composition called The Dance of the Hills, played by the Marius Pop Band.
As a composer, Florian Lungu also wrote symphonic, chamber and pop music, apart from jazz. Let's listen next to a song which is a mix of jazz, bossa nova and pop called The Evening is Setting In and sung by Aura Urzicianu. Ha! 
In 2003, Florian Lungu, who is turning 80 this month, was awarded the Cultural Merit Order by the Romanian president for his contribution to promoting Romanian jazz. Let's end with another Bossa Nova song written by Lungu, his favorite music genre. Living Romania. You are listening to Radio Romania International. Coming up next on Radio Romania International. In the spotlight. Welcome everyone to a new edition of In the Spotlight. I'm Vlad Palku. A new year has started after a tumultuous 2022 ridden with a variety of challenges. And one cannot help wonder if 22 has the same in store. Perhaps the watershed moment of last year was Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which resulted in a crisis far exceeding the regional scope of the conflict, resulting in a series of cascading consequences impacting global markets. The war prompted not just food, fuel or energy crises, but also an infodemia, disinformation narratives and fake news being used to manipulate public opinion. 
In 2022, the COVID-19 pandemic continued to impact healthcare systems around the globe, whereas rising concentrations of greenhouse gas doubled with scores of disasters such as floods, extreme heat or blizzards made the world more aware to the tangible effects of climate change. The United Nations Foundation has compiled a list of challenges that will continue to shape the world in 2023 and which the international community needs to take seriously if it is to emerge stronger. You are listening to Radio Romania International. The first challenge listed by the UN Foundation is rescuing the Sustainable Development Goals, known as SDGs. Even before the Russian invasion, the COVID-19 pandemic dealt a heavy blow to the implementation of SDGs, as the pandemic prompted world governments to close schools, suspend services and shift approaches to work all over the world. Any progress reported in eradicating poverty was erased, thus pushing millions of people to the periphery of society. According to the UN Foundation, if nothing changes, 574 million people will still be living in poverty by 2030, nearly 7% of the world's population, mostly in Africa. The Russian aggression in Ukraine made things more difficult, impacting food supply chains and hampering international cooperation. Food insecurity thus rose to alarming levels, while the economies of developing countries were overburdened by growing debt and rising inflation. Furthermore, another SDG that saw a significant rollback in 2022 is gender equality. Violence against women remains endemic, while women still face unacceptable barriers to exercising their rights. According to the United Nations Population Fund, in 2022 only 57% of women were able to make their own decisions over their sexual and reproductive health rights. Concurrently, the World Economic Forum estimates that closing the global gender gap will take over 130 years. 2023 will, however, host a number of key events that will present important opportunities to deal with these challenges, such as the 5th UN Conference of the Least Developed Countries in Doha, the High-Level Political Forum on Sustainable Development in New York, or the UN General Assembly in September, which will also occasion the SDG Summit. The second global challenge the world needs to be watchful of in 2023 is climate change. Whereas some breakthrough was reported last year in key events, such as the COP27 summit in Egypt, too little action is undertaken globally to counteract the effects of climate change. According to the United Nations Foundation, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change confirmed this year that limiting warming over pre-industrial levels, the Paris Agreement target, requires emissions to peak before 2025 and be reduced by more than 40% by 2030. Yet the World Meteorological Organization's provisional state of the global climate indicates that emissions are set to rise again this year. Major natural disasters in 2022, including devastating flooding in Pakistan, underscore the need for urgent progress on climate adaptation. In 2020, the COVID pandemic grew into a global phenomenon, shaping businesses and providing fresh impetus to international cooperation. 
2022 began with a global surge of COVID cases driven by the Omicron strain, resulting in over 300 million cases of infection. Over 6.6 million people have died to this virus since its outbreak, vaccination remaining the key recommendation to counteracting the effects and containing the spread of the virus. In this respect, access to vaccination remains unequal, the UN Foundation writes. As of December 2022, 72.8% of people in high-income countries had received at least one dose, compared to only 28.9% of people in low-income countries. In addition, COVID-19 dealt an important blow to wider immunization programs. The world registered a drop in immunization coverage from 86% in 2019 to 81% in 2021. New pathogen threats also emerged this year, including the spread of Mpox, which by December 2022 had registered more than 80,000 cases. All of this took place as policymakers, healthcare workers and others struggled against waves of health-related misinformation and disinformation. Russia's invasion of Ukraine was the highlight of 2022. The scope of the conflict prompted displacements at an unprecedented scale, forcing millions of Ukrainians to leave the country and seek refuge in neighboring countries. The newly created context rose public awareness to the already historic levels of global humanitarian need and displacement. According to the most recent global humanitarian overview, quoted by the UN Foundation, in 2021 roughly 274 million people worldwide were in dire need of humanitarian assistance, already a 17% rise from the previous year. For 2023, that number is leaping yet again, bringing the number of people in need to 339 million, more than the population of the United States. This means one in every 23 people on the planet will need emergency assistance just to survive. By mid-2022, global force displacement totaled 103 million people, an increase from 89.3 million at the end of 2021. In 2023, it is essential that the global community and our multilateral system learn from the lessons of this year, including the outpouring of support for Ukrainians forced to flee their country and the extensive efforts to manage the downstream impacts of the conflict, while at the same time keeping an eye on refugee crises in areas absent from headlines, such as Haiti, Sahel or Syria. Finally, the last challenge of 2023 is to develop more inclusive systems for international cooperation. In 2022, the UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres warned that geopolitical divides are undermining all forms of international cooperation and emphasized that we cannot go on like this. According to the UN Foundation, making the most of the opportunity at hand in 2023 will require a clear and honest look at where the world is off track without becoming hopeless about the scale of the challenge. Without doubt, global cooperation will be tested in new ways in the year ahead, and the urgency required to meet the 2030 deadlines will be laid even more bare. As humanitarian health and climate crises rage on, 
the world's leaders will need to choose solidarity and step up for people and planet in unprecedented ways before the clock runs out. Far too much is at stake to make any other choice, the UN Foundation also reports. And with that, we wrap up today's edition of In the Spotlight. I'm Vlad Palku. Thanks for listening. Focus on Romania. Coming up next on Radio Romania International. Simply Folk. Welcome to Simply Folk with Mila Kramiara Simeon. Today's program features Florica Duma, a native of Bihor County, with the song The Flowers of Bihor. With that, our broadcast in English for listeners in Western Europe and Africa has come to an end. You can listen to our next program for Western Europe at 1800 hours UTC 
on 7350 kHz in the DRM system and on 9770 kHz in analog system. Listeners in Africa can receive our programs tomorrow at 1200 hours UTC on 17800 and kHz. We can also be heard on the internet at ri.ro channel 1. If you have any comments or suggestions, please write an email at engl at ri.ro. Goodbye. <laughs>